then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong there. Here's Johnny. I shot him six times. Only a butt. Thanks for your life. To a new world of parts and monsters. Hello everybody, my name is Robert La, and with me as always is Countess Infiesca. Hello. Hi everybody, how are you? Good, welcome to Pods and Monsters. Welcome to Pods and Monsters, indeed. We are a monster movie podcast. That's right. And today, we're going to be talking about uh, Universal Monster sequel, it's the well, I guess it's the second sequel that they did. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein, I guess, is the first Universal Monster sequel that they did. Okay. And this is a sequel to the 1931 version of Dracula. And the title is Dracula's Daughter. I'm Dracula's daughter. So Dracula's daughter came out in 1936. My experience with it is I I, I knew about it as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was more familiar with clips and the trailer, but I don't think I ever actually watched the whole thing until I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And watching it then, and especially as an adult, I really like this movie. Yeah, it's a it's a really good film. So, Inthia, what did you know about Dracula's daughter uh, before we decided to do this episode? Absolutely nothing. Did you know that there was a sequel to Dracula? I mean, I just assumed it was a House of Dracula. Yeah, well, there is a House of Dracula, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I just assume all the sequels are House of whomever. Yeah. Um, but no, I did not know that there was a Dracula's daughter. And once you told me about it, I did not expect it to be good. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. It doesn't get the same type of popularity as uh, some of the other monster movies, Uh but uh, it's right up there as a, it's a really solid entry. Yeah, I agree. So why why don't we go through uh, Dracula's Daughter? Please don't come any closer. So uh, this movie opens with the Universal biplane logo. The famous biplane logo. And this will be the last Universal Monster movie that will use that logo. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is one of my favorites. So this opens immediately with some very exciting music and some very beautiful drawings, paintings, pastels. I'm not too sure. But do you remember um, growing up, did you ever watch PBS and they would be... There was a show, I don't remember the name of it, um, where they would tell you a story, and as the story is going along, 
there's just a piece of paper that fills up the frame and someone is using pastels to draw in parts of that story. I, I don't remember that too much. Oh, I love this show growing up. And that's what these drawings remind me of, is that style. They kind of reminded me of night gallery paintings. Okay. And later we find out that Dracula's daughter is an artist herself, and uh-huh. these are her paintings that we're looking at. That's so great. Uh, and you mentioned the, the musical score. The music is done by Heinz Romheld. And it's a great score. I think it's it really great. It's very good. It is a lot more lively than a lot of the other scores yeah. um, so far. Uh, but And it's very cartoony also. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the music really plays up on what they're talking about, what uh, the scene is portraying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For instance, when they go to Scotland Yard, you hear like uh, marching uh, yeah. police music, you know, whatever it is. Or, mm, sounds yeah. like, it sounds like the British National Anthem or something. Like a militaristic type of music. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I just want to mention real quick. So we had a little bit of a hiccup when watching Dracula's Daughter. My DVD set of all the Dracula movies from 2004, for some reason, this disc isn't working anymore. I watched it when I first had it, you know, several times. And now, 15 years later, it's uh, not working. Yep, no. Even on the same DVD player that I had doesn't work so we decided to rent from amazon mm-hmm. and i gotta say th- this is the remastered dracula's daughter i assume it's fr- it's the same version that's on the blu-ray you could get right now of all the dracula movies together and it looked incredible it looked like it was shot recently it was so clear and beautiful and pristine yeah it was very very lovely so we have the paintings i noticed that their her name is countess maria Maria, Mar- Mara? Or Mar- no, it's Maria? Mary A. Maria? It's Mary, M-A-R-Y-A. Yeah, I think it's Maria. Maria? Maria. Is that what they're calling her? I think, I think so. I had a very hard time because I had to write it down every time and I had to think about it way too much. Countess Maria Zaleska. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, and also I noticed that our dear friend Edward Van Sloan was mentioned in these credits yeah uh, edward van sloan is the only person from the original dracula to reprise his role of professor van helsing the funny thing is in the original and i believe in the book uh it's van helsing v-a-n and here it's spelled von helsing v-o-n oh i don't know why they changed it but uh they did for some reason hmm so we open with some gentlemen two police officers walking down some steps and um it turns out that they are in carfax abbey Uh and they're walking down to the cellar the dungeon the resting area of our beloved dracula well it's the same steps that take place for the finale of dracula Mm -hmm. but you can see they're different when you watch the movie you can see they're the same steps from frankenstein yep they're different from the ones in dracula but that doesn't matter yeah, there's a body lying at the bottom of these steps. It turns out to be um, Renfield's body. A poor harmless imbecile who ate spiders and flies. They note that he's dead um, with his a broken neck. And they stumble upon um, Van Helsing, or Von Helsing, as he's just killed Dracula. And I love that he 
pretty much in case you don't know what's happening, serves as a reference point and just kind of fills everyone in. And I believe at one point, one of the officers says, what's going on here? And he says, murder. What's been going on here? Murder, my friend. Murder? I just love how he comes in hot and he's just like typical Van Helsing. He stakes Dracula and it's different than it is in the 1931 version. The setting is different. Yes. Mina and Jonathan Harker are somehow not here now. Yeah, they're gone. Because it takes place immediately after. Yes. but But if you remember in the 1931 Dracula, he stakes Dracula... Well, it's weird. He stakes Dracula, and then Mina and Harker walk away. They go walk up the stairs, but Van Helsing says he's going to stay behind and clean up. So I uh-huh. guess that's what he's doing. But but I like how they show Dracula in this movie, but it's not Bela Lugosi. It's a uh, wax figure of him. Mm-hmm. And with the little stake in his chest. Yeah. So one of the police officers go to investigate. Uh, we see Dracula, again, as we were talking about, laying there, and he's staked. And this perplexes the the officer van helsing oh they ask him who that is and he comments that it's dracula they're like is that man dead or something like that and he's like for 500 years <laughs> so he's just really confusing these guys yeah he's so sly with all of his remarks <laughs> like i know better than you i'm not going to explain it to you but i'll give you a little hints as to what's going on he's very coy yeah. <laughs> but in a very very scary way so the police take him into custody and he just tells them everything like he just he's like here from a to z this is what happened um and he's talking at the police station with sir basil 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 who of course there always has to be one of them he doesn't believe he doesn't believe them they talk about vampires and the undead and we get a really great definition and pretty much the rules set by van helsing yeah the strength of the vampire sir basil lies in the fact that he is unbelievable vampires vampires oh why do you persist they ask him if he wants any help some legal counsel and he mentions that he does want someone there but the person is not a lawyer it's uh, Jeffrey Garth, who is a, a psychologist. Yeah. Well, what's funny is they ask if there's anyone that can back him up to his story mm-hmm. and give validity to Dracula being a vampire and that vampires are real. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't he go out and get Harker and Mina? They were there. Yeah. And she was possessed. Like, I, I, mean, I just feel like the Jonathan Harker and Mina not being in this movie just doesn't really make sense maybe uh yeah yeah no for sure that's like a big plot hole but also maybe they wouldn't be as reliable maybe in a scientific way yes but i mean in that the the likelihood of them being believed yeah as opposed to this person who's kind of a third party to the situation yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, with this whole requesting Jeffrey Garth, Sir Basil, <laughs> Sir Basil. Basil. Uh, <laughs> Sir Basil. I feel like I'm saying it weird. Well, Basil, Basil is the, uh, the garnish or the Isn't the there an actor named Basil? Basil Rathbone. <sighs> Basil. So he thinks that Van Helsing will lose. This would all end in one of two ways. He'll be sentenced to death or he'll be committed for the rest of his life. Meanwhile, the constable and the officer who found Van Helsing in his whole 
situation yeah are uh watching over the bodies of dracula and renfield i should point out that the police officer is very much afraid of everything and does not have his stripes um and the constable just thinks he's a moron well, it's, it's sort of a comic relief and, you know. Yeah, for sure. There's so many movies that have that police duo comedy. Yeah, the bumbling. Um, yeah. So the constable will leave to the train station and is going to leave this scared officer whose name is Albert watching over the bodies. When he's preparing to leave, they hear a scratching from the coffins. And so he sends Albert to go look at the coffins, which I love this little scene. I love this too. It's so good. The officer goes to check it out and he like sees the earth moving and he claims that there's a rat in there. Yeah, you see uh, the, the coffins are in sort of a jail cell, which is a dirt floor. And the dirt starts moving almost as if a groundhog is making his way through. Like tunneling. Yeah, like it, like how you would see in a cartoon. Yes. And the constable doesn't believe him. He says that there's no rats at this jail. So he goes in to investigate and uh, the earth right by his feet actually kind of lifts up, which really scares him. And he immediately turns around and says, not a single rat. And it's just kind of like... I know. Uh, he, real. He's so mean to Albert because he is. he's... You know, he makes that sound and goes like, ooh, and he he's scared himself, Yeah, but he doesn't stay with Albert. No, and he gives him the gun. He gives him the gun, and he turns to him, and I think that he feels like, you're going to die tonight, Albert. And he says to him that England expects you to do your duty. Albert, remember, England expects every man to do his duty. Yeah, and he gives them the gun in case they decide to get up and walk away. Um, oh, gosh. But the funny thing is we never find out what that dirt is that's moving. Is it a rat, you think? or I thought it was her. I mean, it could be, but... I mean, she comes in through the door, but I don't think she actually comes in through the door. I think she makes a show of the door opening and closing, but she's just kind of manifested there from tunneling in. Yeah, maybe. So, um, so who's her? So the door opens, um, or is actually closing, and this is after the constable's left and now Albert's alone, and there's a woman in black. She's come to see the body of Count Dracula to make sure he's dead. Albert uh, won't let her see him because it's against the rules. So she tries to bribe him at first, and then he very much rebukes this bribe. Yeah, and I I just want to mention real quick, when Dracula's daughter first appears, the first time you see her, you get her great music cue. Mm -hmm. Which is like the main theme of the movie. Mm -hmm. I love that music. She, her presence is great. And I feel like we also get a little bit of uh, a different mimicking of like the light over his eyes. But like she's wearing that cloak slash shroud that covers and just only shows her beautiful eyes yeah she she wears this cloak shroud so only her eyes are shown it covers the bottom of her face which is sort of becomes a dracula trademark but i don't but he doesn't do it until abbott and costello meet frankenstein he covers half of his face but whenever people do dracula impressions it's covering you know the bottom half Mm -hmm. of the face and as far as I know, Dracula's daughter was the first one to do it. Mm, makes her very mysterious. But I do love that it like 
puts her ring at this like really great height. It's at eye level, that yeah. hypnotizing and, ring. And that's another thing. Uh, Dracula, starting with, um, I can't remember if they do it in Son of Drag, either Son of Dracula or House of Frankenstein, the ring, Dracula's ring, becomes a big deal. And again, that started with uh, Dracula's daughter. Mm. So she does use this ring and um, hypnotizes him into not remembering what's going to happen. And I Hypnotizes Albert. Yes. And I love that it pans over to the clock and the clock just jumps forward in time um, to the constable and the sergeant arriving. Albert is hypnotized and essentially faints, falls over. He's just kind of stiff. Does he die? No, I don't think he's dead. Okay. I mean, he could be, but I, I think he's just hypnotized. Okay. They go to check out the bodies and Dracula's body is missing. Um, and then they hear some howling. So a wolf, perhaps? Um, now we're in the woods and this woman is in black in the woods. She is burning Dracula's body. She also has a man that's standing there watching over her. Which I found very interesting. He has a very interesting look to him. Yeah, he kind of looks like, you know, he's playing the heavy, the big guy, Mm -hmm. the big guy that will do her bidding. And he sort of looks like Bela Lugosi Mm -hmm. and Boris Karloff combined, you know, Uh, his character's name is Sandor. Uh, Dracula's daughter, her name, as we mentioned earlier, is Countess Zaleska. And this scene is basically her funeral for yes. Dracula. Yes. And I love this scene. It's a really good scene. And the music again, great here. I love that she um, holds up this cross, but she doesn't look at it. The man also doesn't look at it, which I was under the impression that he was a vampire. Come to find out, though, later on, he's not. He, yeah. She's, yeah, she's promised him. He is basically infatuated with the world of the vampire and does their bidding for them in hopes to become a vampire, sort of like how Renfield wanted to become a vampire, but he is a lot more serious about it. Can I say, Mm -hmm. I know you have not watched What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. You need to. Guillermo is essentially Sandor. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Because he's, I believe the vampire that he helps is, is it Nandor? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But he's been promised to be a vampire. Mm -hmm. And at one point someone else gets turned into a vampire and he's just like real pissed about it. Yeah. It's got so much, they poke so much fun at vampire lore, but they do it so well. Yeah. And they stay true to some stuff. It's just very funny. Yeah. So I I love how in this vampire lore, the cross doesn't burn them. They just can't look at it. So she can pick it up and do what she needs to do with it, but she just can't face it. I guess they're just scared of it, basically. I guess so. And then she puts some ash or something on the fire. Then again, you get another shot of the Dracula dummy being set ablaze. It's a pretty good likeness of Lugosi. It looks like it could have been painted better, maybe. But it's a pretty good likeness. And apparently Lugosi uh, gave them permission to use his likeness for it. Okay. She says that she is now free forever from him. With Dracula dead, she can live how she wants and out of his shadow. Free. Free forever. Do you understand what that means, Sander? Free to live as a woman. Free to take my place in the bright world of the living. Instead of... Among the shadows of the dead. 
and then quickly she has to hurry back to London. So yes, and th- so this whole thing with her being free—that's all she wants—is to be free of being a vampire. Yeah. Well, okay. So first of all, I felt like going into it, like obviously I knew because this movie was called Dracula's Daughter uh-huh. that she was also a vampire. But also, I love that there—it's a little ambiguous exactly how he's influenced her. Yeah. Well, I guess because later on in movies. When you do kill the vampire that made everyone else a vampire, then you go back to being a human. So theoretically, she should be a human now. Unless by daughter, somehow two vampires are able to mate and Uh she's a vampire from birth, which I don't think is the case because she talks later about her mom and looking at the uh, sunset, basically, or the shadows during a sunset. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a continuity issue, but that's okay. But what I was going to say is I find the whole movie, you know, it's really interesting that the main character doesn't want to be a vampire. No, she does not. And it's all about her trying to find basically a cure Mm -hmm. of being a vampire, which is a story that they kind of get into later in House of Dracula, too. Oh, really? She's just so, so desperate. Like, your heart kind of breaks for her. So she mentions to Sandor that they need to hurry back to London. They get back to her flat, apartment, house, whatever. She says that the spell is broken and that she can live a normal life. Sandor is very skeptical about all of this. Like, he just doesn't believe yeah. her. And again, he wants to be a vampire. So he mm-hmm. he loves the world of vampires. Yeah. And Everything she says negative about being a vampire, he always has a rebuttal for it. Yes. And she says, look, I could play happy music now. And then he later says, it doesn't sound happy to me. Well, I love throughout that conversation because she does. She says that she can play beautiful music now on the piano. And she does start with a very happy, hopeful tune. Yeah. And it's a lullaby, right? Yeah. As they're talking, it gets more intense Mm -hmm. and more melancholy as they're talking. And yeah, by the end of it, he's like, this doesn't sound like beautiful, hopeful music. Yeah, then and then at one point she asks him what he sees in her eyes. Yes. What do you see in my eyes? Death. All she wants is, you know, she doesn't want to be. No. And he's like, "Mm, yeah, he's just dragging her down. He wraps her in a cloak and you next see her outside stalking this very dapper gentleman. I say she hypnotizes him and it goes all fuzzy, which I really like this of seeing him looking at her and her going fuzzy. Yeah. And it's a great close up of her. It's uh, just her eyes and you know, the cloak around her face and mm-hmm. her hand is up near her face where you could see her ring glowing a little bit. Yeah, she's now back home and she is absolutely exhausted and gives her cloak to Sandor and it's all bloody. And then we see her go to sleep in a coffin. And next we see this man's body being looked at by doctors. It turns out he, it's the man that she attacked and He's pretty much died at the hospital. They tried to give him multiple blood transfusions, and they they mentioned that they see some puncture marks on his throat. Yeah. The next day, we meet Jeffrey Garth, who is out hunting with a friend, and he's, like, trying to take a day off. 
And we also meet his um, his assistant, Janet, who shows up to whisk him away, letting him know that his friend Van Helsing is in need of his help. So now we know that this is the Jeffrey Garth that was brought up earlier. Immediately when Janet shows up, we see the dynamic of their relationship, mm-hmm. which is um, she's his assistant, but they are very much not borderline. They are fully invested in a very flirty banter. Yeah, it's it, it's obvious that she's in love with him and yes. he sort of treats her in a playful way, not the best. Yeah. So you could tell that he has some sort of feelings for her too. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey is skeptical about the whole situation and doesn't know how to help, but reluctantly agrees to helping out Van Helsing. That evening uh there is a party that jeffrey goes to yeah and this party is being thrown by lady esme it's esme uh-huh and she is played by hedda hopper who's that hedda hopper she was a sort of gossip columnist and uh hollywood elite of the 1920s through the 50s, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was most famous for her crazy hats she would wear all the time. Oh, okay. In fact, there's an episode of Isle of Lucy that's sort of a, about her. Lucy, Mickey, I'd like you to meet my good friend, Heather Hopper. And they say I wear crazy hats. <laughs> so I've always known about her because of Isle of Lucy, but she, <laughs> she was very famous. Okay. So the Countess, I'm just going to call her the Countess because that feels like the easiest way to go with this situation. So Zaleska? Yeah, um, or her first name. Maria. So uh, (laughs) Jeffrey and the Countess meet here. Uh, Janet is also present and immediately does not like the Countess. Yeah, uh, she's jealous. Yeah, she is. I love that we have a little bit of a throwback to Dracula here. Uh, At one point, the partygoers are being offered some beverages. And uh, the Countess says that she never drinks, with a very small pause, wine. Sherry, Maria? Thank you. I never drink wine. It's great. She's so smooth with her dialogue. She is. It's it's not done with as much force and comedy, I want to say, yeah. as Bela Lugosi did it in Dracula. Aren't you drinking? I never drink. Why? But I love that it's there. Yeah, me too. And I, I will say that the actress that is uh, the Countess is really good because she just yeah she's great uh, her name is gloria holden she's such a tortured soul no matter what she's talking about she is and you know she was not happy to get this part this is her first starring role but you know like so many celebrities of the time they look down on horror movies mm. and she was also afraid that she would have been typecast in the future to stay in horror roles, much like how Bela Lugosi was typecast. Uh, uh So she wasn't very happy to do this role, and she was sort of saying that she was tortured doing this part is a bit extreme, but uh, there are theories that her performance is so good also because she's not happy that she's there. So you could see (laughs) her real-life torture of having to do this movie is being presented in this movie. Uh, I don't know if if I'd go that far, but that's what some people say. Yeah. So there's just some talking around the fireplace. Uh, There's talk about Dracula and Van Helsing and how Dracula's body is missing. Uh, There's a guest who's very colorful with everything he does. And he says, 
that uh, Dracula's body was possibly spirited away. They haven't been able to find Dracula's body. Maybe one of his vampire friends flew in and spirited him away. <laughs> Jeffrey does not believe in any of this, doesn't believe in vampires, doesn't believe in any of it. But he thinks people can get engrossed and believe that they are vampires and that he can release them of these thoughts. Like if they're so convinced that they are a vampire, he can help them work through it and yeah. realize that they are not vampires. I think Dracula's daughter is the first example of vampires being not only a physical problem, but a psychological problem. Yes. So like where, Renfield. Yeah. And, you know, he, Garth, compares it to alcoholism mm -hmm. later that, you know, you just have to confront your addiction and fight it. So basically, he what he's saying is, I mean, he doesn't know that she's a vampire when he's giving that advice. Yeah. But basically, what Countess Zaleska is trying to do is, although she is a vampire, she's trying to fight her habit of killing people and living as a vampire. Mm -hmm. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. So the Countess is intrigued, and she pretty much makes a date with him the next evening to talk about it. So the next night, Jeffrey is at home and we have a really great scene with him and Janet where she is helping him tie his tie and uh, they're going back and forth and she's very displeased that he's going to be going to see the countess um, and she just really leaves him with a jacked up looking tie that he doesn't realize till he looks in the mirror and the comedic timing of this is uh, very funny and I just I really like her a lot yeah I really like her in the next scene. <laughs> so Jeffrey goes over to the Countess's house. And as they're talking, he's just fidgeting with his tie and walking around looking for a mirror. And he notes that she doesn't have any mirrors. You know, this is the first woman's flat I've been in that didn't have at least 20 mirrors in it. She makes a comment that this might fit into Van Helsing's rules or thoughts on vampires. And he just kind of like doesn't acknowledge it or he acknowledges it, but just kind of doesn't say anything about it. Right. Right. When he's processing this information, Sandor comes in and he says that he has a phone call uh, for Jeffrey. So Jeffrey goes in to go take it. And it's actually a crank call from Janet. Please come right away. This is the zoo speaking. The zoo? Yeah. One of our elephants is seeing pink men. All right, now, now listen to me, Janet. This has gone far enough. <laughs> yeah, I love that she's just up all night doing crane calls on him. <laughs> yeah, she's just going to ruin his evening. After hanging up on her and just being a little mean, he goes, understandably though, he goes um, back to the Countess and uh, she asks him if he thinks that the dead can influence the living. She wants him to help her break this influence that she's feeling. He tells her, as you were saying, that she'll need to meet this influence and fight it instead of trying to avoid it um, and giving in. She'll just she really just has to stand up and fight. Yeah. Um, at this point, there's another phone call that he receives and thinking that it's Janet. He is very hostile on this phone call, but it turns out to be Dr. Beamish. 
at St. Mary's Hospital. He wants him to come see a, a patient of his. He's got to go see this patient now. So they make another date for the next day. He says that she can come over to his office around 4 p.m. And she says, that's impossible. (laughs) Can we do it in the evening? And he says, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So he leaves and uh, Sandor comes in and he asks if they are going to go out that night. And she says that they're going to go paint at her studio, but that she'll need a model. So I love the way that this plays out is that Sandor goes over to like, I guess a place where people are constantly jumping off of the bridge. And I think that's what she was going to do? I thought so. Because the way that he talks to her, like, she's desperate. Uh-huh. Like, there's, so I thought that she was, like, even though we don't physically see her do it, it seems like she's contemplating this, and this might be an area where this happens. Mm-hmm. That's why he's just standing there. And um, pretty much offers her food and a warm place. All she has to do is model for yeah, he finds uh, this girl. Her name is, I'm sorry, Anthea, I have to do it. No, you do not. Lily. And uh, she's played by Nan Gray, who we later meet again in The Invisible Man Returns. They feed her and they give her drink. While they're doing that, the Countess is like, she needs her to pretty much remove her top. She wants to paint her bare neck and this is uh the best scene in the movie i think it's so good she asks the young lady if she knows where she is and the gal says yes and she says do you know who i am and she says well i've heard of you as the countess is looking at her she's becoming more and more hungry she's losing her self-control looking at this young lady Mm -hmm. and so it's very interesting the way it plays out where she tries to hypnotize her so that she can just pretty much attack her why are you looking at me that way when i do yes you do very well indeed please don't come any closer And when the attack is on, we don't see it. It pans up to a mask in Zaleska's collection. I've always loved that mask. I want one. (laughs) It's a steep, long face. So this scene is probably the most famous scene of the movie. And, you know, there's been lots of talk about it. I'll have some stuff to talk about it afterwards. But did you feel a lesbian undertone of this scene? Um, I I meant, well... I felt that this scene was very racy for the 1930s. This gal did not remove all of her clothing, but she did show up in basically her underwear. I did get um, some sexy vibes from this. It was a very, there was a very sexy moment, but then it, you know, ended in an assault. So, but yeah, I mean, sure. I feel like when you're a vampire, anyone is fair game. (laughs) I just... I really feel like once you become a vampire, you love all the bodies. Yeah. And, you know, there has been lots of talk about this, about if there is some homosexual undertones. And when I first saw it, I I thought to myself, yes, for sure. But watching it again, it's not as obvious as memory serves, I guess, because there is an attack, but sensors did have some issues with it. We'll I'll talk about that later. Okay. So uh, the next morning, 
Janet and Jeffrey have more banter. She tries to resign and as she's resigning, they find out that there is a woman who just came in um, who has severe amnesia and blood loss um, and Jeffrey needs to see her. So he, I believe, is like tearing up her resignation letter and is like, you're coming with me and like makes her go take notes with him. Jeffrey says that it's a post, that she's not like in a coma or anything like that. Uh, she's post-hypnotism. <laughs> yeah, I was like, post-hypnosis. Post-hypnosis. There you go. Post-hypnosis. And uh, notes the two marks on her neck. He wants to talk to her. Uh, so he says, uh, let me know when she's awake. But actually, I think they make a plan to wake her up and get her out of this coma. Yeah, because he needs to find out where she was who did this to her and yes. solve the mystery. Yes. Um, he says that Van Helsing would be the only one who would know about this um, and be able to really put all the pieces of her information together. So he goes back to Sir Basil's office. And uh, again, here we go, does not believe them. He, not only does Sir Basil not believe Jeffrey, does not believe Van Helsing. So now he does not believe the two men in front of him. Yep. Which I love this, that this character, no matter what, does not believe anyone, but he gets down if he needs to. Um, that'll play off at the end. So Van Helsing gives warnings of vampires like how to spot a vampire 101 from van helsing <laughs> he says that um they will sleep with a box of their native soil near them mm-hmm. and that there will be no mirrors around and that the no mirrors is when jeffrey's little connect the dots situation pays off yeah he instantly thinks of uh, the countess and another thing there will be no mirrors anywhere about what because a vampire casts no reflection in mirrors Next, we got more Janet and Jeffrey banter. Janet is leaving his place. And as he does, she runs into the Countess. Immediately lies about Jeffrey not being there. As she's saying that, the maid comes out and is talking to Jeffrey. Myra calls her on out on it and is like, why Why did you have to lie to me about this? Right. Um, and just walks past her and goes to talk to Jeffrey. She says that she'll be leaving London that evening because he, frankly, cannot help her. And there's just no, no help for her here. So she needs to go back home. He tells her that he wants to try an experiment using this contraption that has light that's reflected off of mirrors. And that sends a little panic through her. And that was his yeah. little test to see how she would react regarding mirrors. Yeah, but uh, also, if she were to be fine with it, it would... This is the machine that he uses to put people into a hypnotized state. Yes. So maybe he can get some answers that way from her, too. Yep. She freaks out and she says it's too late in the evening for experiments. Lily is now awake and Jeffrey gets a phone call. So he says that he's leaving for a bit, but he tells her that he needs the truth all of the truth because he realizes that she's not telling him everything. Right. He's putting together all of this, these bits of information and he wants her to be a hundred percent with him. If she wants his help, um, he tells her to stay here and he leaves. So obviously she's not going to stay. <laughs> she wants to leave London and she propositions him before he leaves. She will not propositions, but she's like, I want you to come with me. He doesn't want to and thinks that she shouldn't leave. 
So now he does leave. As she's there, uh, Sandor comes in and they're talking. Um, and who should walk into this situation but Janet? Moment of opportunity. So the Countess commands Sandor to kidnap Janet. Sandor. Take her to the car. This way. So Jeffrey hypnotizes Lily using the machine from earlier and he wants her to remember. I love how this scene plays out because at first he thinks that she's talking to him, but it turns out that she's just going through the steps of that evening. Yeah, she's hypnotized and she now believes herself to be in the past, to be in the apartment or the flat with Zaleska. So all the questions that Dr. Garth is asking her, she's answering him as if he himself is Zaleska. Yep. She recounts this evening and uh, talks about the ring, talks about everything, and then dies. Yeah, I feel so bad for her. I do too. They brought her back to answer these questions and uh, her little body just couldn't handle it. Yeah, it's like she dies almost a fright from the whole situation. Yeah. Let go of my arm. You're hurting me. Please. Jeffrey knows at this point that it is the Countess. He goes to Chelsea to go look for this studio. And Lily had described it as a studio near a bookstore. And so he he finds it. He calls Sir Basil, uh, Basil to let him know to bring Van Helsing and that they're going to go after vampires. Yep. Again, Sir Basil very reluctant about this whole situation or not very reluctant actually he's very gung-ho but he does not believe what is happening i like when he says vampires ha ha i'm going out after vampires 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 ha 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 so i think at this point in the movie is when i caught on that uh, sir basil has a really weird phone etiquette because <laughs> yeah. he does not give anyone a chance to say anything yeah And it's hilarious and very annoying. I mean, we just get like two or three scenes now where he's just screaming into a phone and not letting other people talk. (laughs) By the way, this scene, the butler that brings him the phone plays the butler in Son of Frankenstein also. Oh, really? Uh, He plays Dr. Frankenstein's butler. Oh, okay. So Jeffrey's in the studio where he meets the Countess. She then goes on to tell him about Curse of the Draculas, which I love that phrasing that she used. There isn't anything I won't do now to enlist your aid in freeing me of the Curse of the Draculas. She throws out Janet's name and asks him if he knows where she is. So now she's playing her only card to get him Mm -hmm. to do what she wants. Jeffrey's like she's on a party and duh and uh, goes to actually make that phone call because she's like are you sure and so he goes to call that party um, and it turns out that Janet is not there he knows at this point that she has Janet and this is how the Countess is going to get him to do what she needs him to do so she leaves and Basil and Van Helsing arrive They send out a general broadcast about Janet being kidnapped. So everyone's on the lookout. Yeah, there's a great montage we get of um, (laughs) of newspapers being written, uh, 
putting her picture in the paper and mm-hmm. it's these like glamour shots where she looks like a <laughs> 30s movie star because yeah, isn't she like the daughter of like a baron or something like that like she is of money she doesn't really need this job yeah and also in the montage there's uh like telephone poles yeah. showing maps uh, maps uh showing all the communication going around the world yeah <laughs> So they find out that Jeffrey went away in his car. I love the way phrasing is. There's like, he went away in his car. And then there's also a report of an unauthorized plane without headlights or without lights taking off and is going across the English Channel. Earlier, when everything back at the flat, they were trying to figure out where she would go. Van Helsing had mentioned that she would go to Transylvania. It turns out that she has and that Jeffrey has also chartered a plane to Transylvania. So uh, they try to stop him, but they can't. So everyone's going to Transylvania. And here we get, we're in Transylvania and we need Zoltan and Elena's wedding in Transylvania. (laughs) Man, oh man, they're having a wedding some dudes congratulating them and it's like hey tonight's your wedding night and then just stares at them <laughs> yeah he gives a little wink like it's the wedding night yeah. <laughs> it's so weird i'd be so mad if someone like did that T- at our wedding i would have been like can you get away from us tonight's the night <laughs> he's just creepy about his comment like none of your business get out of here <laughs> this wedding is interrupted by wolves howls wolf howl wolf howling <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> this wedding's interrupted by wolf howling. War- wolf howls. <laughs> Keep it all in. <laughs> uh, do you want to say one wolf or two wolves? I can't remember if it was say, more than one. You could just say wolves howling. <laughs> What's it? More than one wolf? Well, if it's one, then say a oh, wolf howling. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, the wedding's interrupted by some howling. Um, <laughs> by what? A wolf or wolves? <laughs> <laughs> yep. A wolf. So I love. Okay, so this is so great. Also, there's a shot of the castle. Uh, or we're inside the castle and uh, we see the coffin open up with Myra in it. Yeah, she does the great... That's not her name. (laughs) (laughs) Maria. The Countess. (laughs) Zaleska. She does the great uh, coffin vampire opening where the hand comes out and wheels around and opens the lid. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a great dungeon set. It is, but it's very funny because she must be able to travel very quickly up stairs i don't know the villagers see a light turn on in the castle and instantly everyone runs away and locks themselves inside i love this they're all just having a party and instantly like someone just has to be staring at the castle all the time (laughs) a little light turns on and they all freak out so much that they think dracula's coming back but yeah now uh however long they've had peace for now they know someone's back yeah so uh jeffrey arrives via the coach and the coach is like this is it we got to go inside the coachman we're not going outside anymore we're done here and so he bribes him with some monies to take him to the borgo pass but no further and the coachman agrees so 
we're in the castle and Sandor keeps questioning the Countess about what she's going to do. He is trying to figure out exactly what her plan is. She says that she wants to turn Jeffrey into a vampire and make him her companion. Uh, but Sandor says that she already promised this to him. So he's very upset about this yeah and says that if she does not fulfill his promise that he will pretty much kill them both yeah but though his wording is way more poetic than i'm gonna murder you both <laughs> but it was kind of like well, i'll kill him and then i'll kill you and she's just like i don't know what you're talking about i'm gonna do this have you forgotten your promise that i was to have eternal life there is death for goth if he comes here death not life and destruction for you Jeffrey gets to the castle and as he walks up to the steps, uh, Sandor is waiting for him on the roof with a giant crossbow or a bow and arrow. I don't even know. And uh, shoots it directly at him. Uh, Jeffrey runs into the castle and we get a glimpse of not so majestic stairs, stairway, but we do get that wonderful cobweb that we had from the first movie. Well, it, it pretty much looks like the steps from the first movie, I think. They you, just don't pull back on it to show you how big it is. It's yeah. just kind of like... Do you think they're the same ones or rebuilt? I think it's rebuilt. Probably It just seemed so. a little bit smaller. But it is still a great set to look at. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and he busts through that spider web and uh, he chases after Sandor. Yeah, and Sandor hides behind a tapestry. Yes. Did you notice what's on the tapestry? Mm-mm. It's this great image of Bela Lugosi Dracula, but the way he's shown on the tapestry, he's not like in his normal outfit. Like it almost looks like a majestic Dracula. Like, oh. uh, like I don't want to say like a Vlad the Impaler look, but something, I guess, a little closer to that. Like a warrior? Not a warrior. It's just, it's kind of like he's wearing a robe or something. Okay. Um, I don't know, just something that looks more mythological than what Dracula would wear in everyday life. Okay. Hmm. At the same time, Van Helsing and Basil arrive at the village. So we know that they're in town. Jeffrey's trying to revive Janet. So Janet is passed, not passed out, but she's unconscious. She is under the thrall of Dracula's daughter. Yeah. And the Countess wants to bargain for her life. She says that she can, that he can let her die or he can become a vampire in her place and she'll, she'll be okay. He calls her insane. And I love that she says, let your science save her or agree to remain here. And so Sandor shoots the Countess. That's right. Shoots her down. It's it's pretty shocking. They're having yes. a conversation and out of the blue, he uh, takes out his bow and arrow and gets her right in the chest. Yep. As she's hypnotizing Jeffrey. So she's going in for it because he agreed and uh, she gets shot by Sandor. I wonder if he had plans, though, like at the last minute he was going to do something. Um, uh, Jeffrey? Yeah. But as soon as she is struck, Janet is not under her thrall anymore. Yep. She wakes up. Sandor goes to shoot Jeffrey and is killed by Sir Basil. Basil. Uh, oh, never going <laughs> to get it right. Um, Janet's woken up and is embracing Jeffrey. So they're just kind of having a little moment. And then we get this close up of the Countess who's very much dead. And uh, we hear a little bit of a voiceover between Sir Basil and 
Van Helsing, and they're remarking about her looks, basically, and uh, that's where we hear that she was like this before she became a vampire, um, which was about a hundred years ago. Yeah, it's a great last line of the movie. She was beautiful when she died, a hundred years ago. And then it ends. Yeah. And we get our credits. It's a great little movie. Again, you know, I, I told you I didn't really grow up with this one. I was older when I saw it, mm-hmm. which is always fascinating to me because the ones that I did watch as a kid, all the Frankensteins, all, you know, the Wolfman and uh, the Invisible Man, those I know so well. And then when I see like Dracula's daughter or maybe like the bad ghoul, you know, these these ones that aren't as popular, it's like seeing new universal monster movies that I don't know so well. And it's so exciting knowing that there's still stuff out there that I don't know so well. Yeah. Uh, but this one, it's really good. I think it's, I mean, in some ways it's better than Dracula. It does move a lot faster. Yeah, because Dracula, you know, we mentioned it was talky and stagey. The thing this, that this does lack is Bela Lugosi. That's, yeah. I mean, that's the best part of Dracula. But it is a great movie. Um, it's the second in the franchise. Next would be uh, Son of Dracula, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about on, a, on another episode. Uh, which that has some really good stuff in it too. But this movie, uh, I like it. Yeah, I did too. So yeah, so that is, what is this movie? Dracula's <laughs> Daughter. <laughs> I, because you just said son of Dracula. I was like daughter of Dracula was what I was just about to say. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, Dracula's Daughter. I enjoyed it. I yeah. So far, well, the other ones I've had really strong casts, but this has a very strong cast. Yeah, it does. Um, I enjoyed everyone. I enjoyed the comic relief aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, really, really loved the women in this this movie. Uh, Because you got two very strong women that are very different from each other. And I I asked you after the movie if you felt like Dracula's daughter, Countess Zaleska, should be more prominent on universal merchandise and things like that should. i think she should too she's a she's a great monster at least you know because when you get the monster collectibles they always throw in like the metaluna mutant or the mole man i think she deserves to be there more than those 50 sci-fi monsters i think so too with her just like in that black hooded with the big old eyes big old eyelashes mm-hmm. and her maybe like the, the hand a little high up I think it's great I think yeah she deserves as much notoriety as the bride does because yeah. um, she's she's really great and I get why she doesn't because there's this movie while it was very good does not have like super big crazy ending climax to it I mean there isn't it like explosions and yeah. you know whatever else yeah I think also it's hard when the character doesn't really look like a monster yeah yeah she, she just looks like a uh you know a lady in a shroud basically yeah but still she's so but yeah she should be more prominent yeah i think she's great so um yeah i really enjoyed this movie i thought it was really good i think more people should watch it yeah you want to hear some fun facts yes please all right let's talk a little bit more about dracula's daughter When we talk about the story of Dracula's daughter, we have to begin at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And what is the beginning? Mm. Dracula. 
the Bram Stoker novel Dracula. There was a deleted segment from Dracula. Several years after Dracula came out, Bram Stoker released it as Dracula's guest. It was sort of like the first chapter of Dracula, and I think uh, it was taken out because it was just, you know, too wordy. Something had to come out. So he took this out and he released it as a separate thing. And in Dracula's Guest, it has to do with a British traveler who they never say it's Jonathan Harker, but Mm -hmm. I think it's people assume it's supposed to be Jonathan Harker Mm -hmm. visiting the Dracula castle and all that. And there is uh, some stuff in there about a female vampire. Okay. Oh, sorry. Just thought of this. Kind of bummed that she doesn't turn into a little bat. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been nice. I would have been a little bat boop. So Dracula's Guest came out as its own thing, Mm -hmm. like a little short story. Mm -hmm. And in 1933, David O. Selznick of MGM, Mm -hmm. he bought the rights from Bram Stoker's widow for Dracula's Guest. Okay. David O. Selznick, uh, he was... We talked a little bit about him in the King Kong episode because yeah, he yeah. used to work for Arkeo. I was like, why does this name sound familiar? So he bought the rights for this, Dracula's Guest. Now he worked for MGM. So MGM lawyers, they were concerned that if they were to go ahead and make this movie and call it Dracula, that Universal would sue them because they have the rights to Dracula. Mm-hmm. So... They were really worried what was going to happen if they were to proceed. And also, a clause in this contract had some alternate titles that the widow Stoker would allow the piece to be named. And one of those titles was Dracula's Daughter. Mm -hmm. And because of this potential legal situation, when they were talking about it throughout town and legal documents, whatever could be public... Uh, They didn't call it Dracula's Daughter or Dracula's Guest. They used a code name and called it Tarantula. I don't know why, but they did Okay, I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, oh, maybe there's... Nope, nope, nope. So David O'Selznick, he hired John L. Balderston to write a script. Now, you'll remember him from writing the Dracula script, Frankenstein and the Mummy. Mm -hmm. So he hired him to write this original script based off of Dracula's guest. And in this story, Van Helsing returns to Transylvania to kill Dracula's three brides. Mm -hmm. And in killing them, he misses a fourth coffin that contains Dracula's daughter. She's upset with him killing all of her relatives and everything, and she follows him back to London, and there she uses the name Countess Zakelski. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. And then the script had scenes of Dracula's daughter torturing men, and while they're under their thrall, they're really enjoying the torturing. I really love that you keep using the word thrall. Yeah, thrall's a great word. (laughs) Uh, So they really enjoy the torturing. In the script, there would be shots of whips and straps on the walls, and and she wouldn't use them on screen, but you know that's what she's torturing them with. Yeah, it sounds a little risque still for the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, The thing is, though, the Balderston script could never be filmed because there was another clause in that contract that David Oselznick has with the widow, Mm -hmm. that none of the characters of Dracula can be used except for those that appear in the Dracula's guest short, which I think are just a British person, Dracula, and a female vampire, Okay, which we assume is Dracula's daughter. So So those are the only characters that legally they could use, but the script that John L. Balderston wrote used all the characters from Dracula. Gotcha. And they couldn't... Got it. Okay. So there was no way they would have been able to film this script. Eventually... 
Universal wants to do a sequel to Dracula. I mean, it was the first one to to do the whole monster craze of uh, the 1930s. Started it, yeah. Yeah. David Oselznik resold the rights to Universal in 1935, and with it included Balderson's script. So there are theories that that was Selznick's idea all along, was that he did all this just to resell it to Universal to make money off of it, never to make a movie. Yeah, it's pretty brilliant. Yeah, so we don't know for sure, but that's what happened. Over at Universal, who do you think they offered the job to direct to? Uh, The same director of Dracula? No, they offered it to James Whale. Dang it, I was actually going to (laughs) say James Whale, but I was like, no, probably... Yeah, James Whale was the uh, instinct. He, he was the big director of the time, and he had just finished *Bride of Frankenstein*. Oh my gosh, he would have put Una O'Connor all over this movie, <laughs> oh, and I would sure. have been like, "This is the worst movie ever." <laughs> Dracula's daughter, but it's just Una instead of the actor actress. <laughs> uh, well, James Whale turned it down. Obviously, he did not direct it. At one point, he did agree to direct it, if only he were allowed to direct another movie based off of a book that he liked and that movie was called remember last night which he did direct so there was a verbal agreement that after that he would do dracula's daughter mm-hmm. unfortunately for the executives who wanted dracula's daughter made showboat was going to be made mm. showboat was really the movie he wanted to do after bride of frankenstein but irene dunn who starred in that movie wasn't available okay so after he makes this movie called Remember Last Night, Irene Dunn becomes available, so now he can make Showboat. So he's doing that now instead of Dracula's Daughter. Mm. Carl Emley Jr. hired a director named A. Edward Sutherland, but he didn't have any interest in Dracula's Daughter. He didn't care for horror pictures, so he left the studio. So <laughs> instead, they hired Lambert Hillier, and he became the director of Dracula's Daughter. What else did he direct? Well, he has quite a filmography, lots of things, lots of westerns, it looks like. He did lots of serials. In fact, he did Batman in 1943. Mm. But not too much that I have heard of. Uh, he did The Invisible Ray, which is a Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi movie. Mm-hmm. So he, he had the experience. So then when Universal uh, is going to make their own script, they brought in R.C. Sheriff to write a script. Mm-hmm. R.C. Sheriff, he wrote the script for The Invisible Man, which is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. In his script, the movie started off in the 14th century and focused on sort of the Dracula legend and who Dracula was back in the early days, you mm-hmm. know. Then the story goes to present day, ni- 1930s, and it's about two engaged couples who go to the Dracula ruins and the men explore the ruins. One of them goes missing and the other one goes insane. We don't know what happened to them. Mm -hmm. So one of them goes insane and one goes missing and they want to try to find this missing guy and Van Helsing is summoned to help find the missing fella. Mm -hmm. Well, they find the missing man and he's now in London with Dracula's daughter. She has him. Mm -hmm. She put them both under her thrall, uh-huh. made one of them crazy, and that guy's with Van Helsing and, and the wives, you uh-huh. know. And the guy who was missing is still with Dracula's daughter. She's holding on to him. Well, when Dracula's daughter catches wind that Van Helsing is on her trail, she charters a ship. And she gets on the ship to flee, but Van Helsing and the three others, the two wives and the crazy guy, they get on the ship too to try to save their friend. And there's a big storm, and Van Helsing is on a mission to destroy Dracula's daughter. Mm -hmm. He eventually does. Once she is killed, the hold she has on the men is gone, 
and the movie ends with a double wedding. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the original script that uh, Universal had in mind. It's half intriguing. Like, I really like the idea of having one guy go insane. Yeah. And the other guy doing her bidding or whatever. Yeah. But then, man, I would have been so mad if we watched this and then it just ends with a double wedding and some ridiculousness. I'm just like, why? (laughs) Even though I guess I would be more closure than some other movies. Yeah. It's such a double-edged sword. So after writing that script, they had to send it to the you know production code office to uh, see if basically in the 30s, everything had to be run by a censorship group uh-huh. to see if things were going to be allowed to be filmed. Okay. And even after they're filmed, movies got sent to them and then they would demand cuts. Basically, they were they were strict on what would be allowed. So when they sent the script in to the censorship board they said that the dracula flashback scenes were too dangerous for its sexual content and its violence for instance there was i guess there was a scene where dracula had a like a group of soldiers that he was in control of which like the what the 14th century stuff in my mind it reminds me of the vlad the impaler type thing mm-hmm. where he kind of he has soldiers and minions and things like that. Yeah, Gary Oldman in that red right. red suit on a horse, right? Right. We call that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm following. But I, I guess uh, in those scenes, the soldiers would gather big groups of women together and like march them into the castle. And that alone is too much for the censorship board because we don't know what's going to happen to those women. They had other restrictions. You know, Dracula was more prominent in this sequel. Uh-huh. He was in it. And there were uh, scenes of him biting female victims. Uh-huh. And I, I guess in the script, one of them was on a couch and Dracula came over and she sort of fell and he got on top of her and bit her. They said oh, that no. is too much. So they made up a rule. They said Dracula's female victims were not allowed to be bitten while slumped on a couch. They had to sit upright <laughs> on a sturdy chair and then they can be bitten. Oh, well, <laughs> Yeah. So I love how this movie instead was like, okay, fine. <laughs> we'll have this woman <laughs> practically disrobe herself. Exactly. So Bela Lugosi was originally supposed to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. And it seems like it was pretty late in the game that he wasn't going to be because they hired him for some stuff. And uh, there are rumors that he got paid like $4,000 for him for his involvement for the movie because he was going to be in it and then he wasn't. But then he was around for publicity. There's a couple of publicity photos that he took on the set with Gloria Holden, who played Dracula's daughter, but he wasn't in it. And also at one point, I think they announced that Boris Karloff and Colin Clive were going to be in it too, in some roles. I don't know what. I actually didn't know that until I was doing some more research on it today, and I found that out. I I had never Colin heard that before. Colin Clive. Though. Yeah, Dr. Frankenstein. No, I know who that is. What would he be doing here? I don't know. And also... Jeffrey Garth, an early contender for that role, was Cesar Romero. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't think I know what Cesar Romero looks like outside of the Joker makeup. He has a mustache. <laughs> the Joker. I didn't know you had a mustache. Joker. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just want to do a quick 
cast rundown, we have Gloria Holden as Countess Zaleska. Which She's great. She's perfect. She is great. I told you her uh, feelings about being in the movie already. Which is a shame, but I guess it added to the role. Yeah. Otto Kruger plays Jeffrey Garth. His name is very familiar. Why? The other thing I know him from is a movie called The Jungle Captive, which also has Rondo Hatton in it. Mm. And it's the third film in the Ape Woman series, which is a 1940s universal horror series. Okay. We have Marjorie Churchill as Janet Blake, Irving Pitchell as Sandor, Edward Van Sloan as Von Helsing, not Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. Nan Gray plays Lily, Hedda Hopper as Lady Esme. And then in a brief role as a sergeant, we have E.E. E. Clive, <laughs> who we know from The Invisible Man and Bride of Frankenstein. He's the constable in The Invisible Man. Look, he's all eaten away. <laughs> and the burgomaster in Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, everyone, go home. Go to bed. <laughs> Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Monster indeed. So... The movie was rushed into production without a final script. Do you know why? I assume because they wanted it now. (laughs) No, it all had to do because of the contract that they had with David Oselznik. Mm -hmm. They bought the rights from David Oselznik, but there was a clause in there saying that they had to make the movie within a certain amount of time or they don't have the rights any longer. Jeez Louise, this is a really great contract on his part. (laughs) Yeah. So they had to quickly get this movie made before the contract was up. Okay. And they didn't have a final script until three weeks into production. That's crazy. So it's surprising it came out as good as it did. Mm-hmm. As I told you before, I think it's the first example of vampirism being psychological and physiological. And then I told you I was going to talk some more about the scene with Lily. Yes. I asked you if, there, if you felt there was a lesbian undertone throughout this scene. And there had always been, or people always thought there was. And when they sent the script in to the production code office, Mm -hmm. the production code enforcer said this about the scene. He said, the present suggestion that Lily poses in the nude will be changed because the original script had her posing in the nude. Okay. So they're making their demands here. Got it. Of what, of the changes that need to be done to make it tame enough to be released. Okay. So again, the present suggestion that Lily poses in the nude will be changed. She will be posing her neck and shoulders, and there will be no suggestion that she undresses, and there will be no exposure of her person. It was also stated that the present incomplete sequence will be followed by a scene in which Lily is taken to a hospital, and there it will be definitely established that she has been attacked by a vampire. Because they don't want to give any ideas that Dracula's daughter approaching her would be sexual. Instead, okay. it was it was for sure an attack. Okay. The whole sequence will be treated in such a way as to avoid any suggestion of perverse sexual desire on the part of Maria. Mar- 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 I, can't, I can't say that name. I can't either. That's I, why I just keep calling her the Countess. Maria. <laughs> Or of an attempted sexual attack by her upon Lily. So they were very worried about this scene. And it's surprising it even got made the way that it did get made. Mm-hmm. Because everything was so strict back then. But I mean, I guess they, they really did stick to the requests. Yeah, they did. So the movie ended up going $50,000 over budget. It came oh. in at $278,380. Oh. And I told you that this was the last Universal Monster movie 
to use the biplane intro. Yes. And that's because 1936 is the last year that the Lemleys will own Universal Studios. Basically, they took out loans and things like that, and they couldn't pay it back, and they had to turn the studio over, and the new head of the studio did not care for horror movies. So they stopped all horror movies for several years. Really? Uh, So this was 1936, and I think in 1938, Eight, there was a re-release of Dracula and Frankenstein that did great. Mm-hmm. And they decided maybe there is a market for horror films again. And then they put Son of Frankenstein in production. So Son of Frankenstein was the first of the new era of universal horror movies. Gotcha. So this movie came out. It had some pretty good reviews. Mm-hmm. The New York Times had nice things to say about Gloria Holden. She said she was a remarkably convincing Batwoman. Batwoman? Batwoman. (laughs) Uh, And even though it did have those good reviews, it wasn't as successful as the original, but it did modestly well, I think. It had enough of an influence on the genre that it inspired Anne Rice. Anne Rice really developed the homoerotic tone of vampirism, and she cites Dracula's daughter as a big reason for that. Man, when we were talking about it, I was about to say, well, you know... Interview with the vampire, everyone's just like... Yeah. I mean, like, everyone's so fluid in that. Yeah, and I I think she gave it a reference in a book she wrote called Queen of the Damned. Yeah, yeah, And I think there's a bar in it called Dracula's Daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So Dracula's Daughter was enough to influence a whole generation of vampire movies. I mean, but yeah, and I could see, like, how she would take some of... Is it Louis's character in Interview with the Vampire? Because he's very much a tortured vampire. He Uh does not want to be a vampire. But there's no way to go back on it. Yeah. He's just living a very tortured life. But yeah, that is Dracula's daughter. That's what I got. Most excellent. Thank you. So we hope you had a fun time reminiscing about Dracula's daughter and learning a few things about it. I cannot stress enough. If you have not seen this movie before listening to this podcast, please do watch this movie because it's really great. Yeah. And I I really love how it takes place right from the moment where Dracula ends. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I think it's a very good sequel to the original. It's a strong cast. It's good. It's good. It's very good. Yeah. So where can the audience find us, Cynthia? You can find us at podsandmonsters.com. You can find us on Instagram at podsandmonsterspodcast, on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find us at podsandmonsters. We are on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) We do have an updated listing of our episodes available at podsandmonsters.com up until the end of this year some very exciting stuff if you have any any requests or suggestions for next year we're going to be building out some of those soonishly there have been some requests for some movies that we definitely have bumped up a little bit on that schedule and we're planning on doing so we're we're very excited for uh, the next year yeah it'll be monsters monsters and monsters (laughs) (laughs) So, for Pods and Monsters, I'm Robert. And I'm India. And we hope you have a wonderful evening. Good night. Goodbye. Dracula's daughter. I'm leaving tonight. 
And you're going with me. 